Usually we all say this when we're on the receiving end of some name, name calling. And it's something as, that we utter as we walk away. We say it which allows us to claim some sort of psychological victory over our opponent. But later on, long after these words will never hurt me, we find ourselves hearing these words over and over again. I don't know who came up with the saying, it's a bit silly. Um, in my school years, learning for me had always come easily. I'm a bit of a sponge, I soak up information, I can grasp new concepts quite readily. And during my time at school, I'd always be the one that would hit the books at the last minute. And my somewhat relaxed attitude about study was misunderstood by all the teachers as laziness and disinterest on my part. And I remember in year nine, my teacher pulling me up after class, telling me that I'll never amount to anything in life. She probably expected that that statement would somehow be of su sufficient shock value to snap me back into the mold that she expected that students should, um, should conform to in terms of study. Now, thankfully, her prediction didn't come true. But it strikes me that 30 years on, I still remember those words. I barely remember the sticks and stones that came with school, and I do know that there were some. But 30 years on, um, those words that were never supposed to hurt me, those words I can still recall. And I'm, I'm sure everyone in this room will have a tale to tell of the impact of words. And this passage we're looking at today focuses on that topic, the topic of the tongue and the words that the tongue produces. How powerful can words be? In Genesis 1, we read that God used words to create the entire universe. God literally spoke it into existence. But with mankind, we weren't spoken into existence. Rather, God formed us with his own hands. And God formed us in his own image. And whilst our words aren't as powerful as God's, the ability that God has given us in his image to communicate through speech is something powerful. But with any ability, we need to check it. We need to check our words. We need to use them in a careful and responsible way. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Words can be used for good. Words can be used for evil. They can build up and they can tear down. In the closing verses of chapter 1 in James, a tone was being set, calling on believers to check themselves. His claim is that our beliefs are worthless if we don't consider our actions and if we don't watch what we say. The passage is up on the screen. I'm not going to run through it, but I just highlighted where it says that. James doesn't want us to be deceiving ourselves as believers. So in chapter 2, he expands on the topic of actions, teaching us that our faith must be obvious by the deeds that we perform. But James also wants us to be considering our words. Every chapter throughout this book touches on an aspect of our words. In James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. James 2.12, speak and act. James 4.11, do not slander. 
James 5.9, don't grumble against one another. He's asking us to consider our words. And here in chapter 3, James is expanding on the topic of words, teaching us that our faith must be obvious by the way we use our tongue. When you visit the doctor for your annual checkup, you'll often be asked to stick out your tongue, which is helpful for the doctor in diagnosing illnesses. It's kind of like the canary in the coal mine. But when it comes to matters of spiritual health and sickness, the tongue is also useful to examine. And so today in these verses, we're going to look at the role of the tongue in our faith and the ability that it has to produce words that are used to teach, words that influence outcomes, and words that reveal our nature. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with your word open. We ask that you speak to us through your word today. We ask that you quieten our minds and still our hearts so that we can hear the message that you have in front of us today. Amen. So James 3. James begins this verse with a warning that should make people like me take notice. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why is this so? Because words are used to teach, and we will be judged by those words. There will be teachers here today, and whatever your sphere of teaching, be it the pastor leading a church, a Bible study leader of a home group, evangelizing in your workplace, discipling a fellow believer, the words that you use matter. Teachers provide instruction in the practical areas of life. And they help to ground the hearers about the teachings and instructions of Jesus. When teaching, we use words to instruct others. And it matters if those words are in error. It matters if those words are misleading. And it matters if those words cause harm. James isn't saying this in this verse that he's discouraging us all from roles of teaching, but for us to ensure that we recognize the importance of teaching, what is being said and what is being taught. James wants us to understand that teaching isn't something to be taken flippantly, but to make sure we do it well. The teacher is being judged more strictly, then that means that what they teach must be important. But it's worth pointing out that James is a practical guy, and he quite rightly says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. There is no perfect teacher. In many areas of our lives, we all stumble in many things. So I don't think James is suggesting we need to be absolutely perfect in our teaching, or perfect before we even consider teaching, but rather recognize the importance of teaching and check yourself. Are you teaching your own ideas, or have you checked them through careful study of God's Word? Are you filling in the blanks yourself, or have you sought advice and guidance from mature believers? And at this point, you might be tempted just to take a nap for the next 25 minutes, because this message is all about teachers, right? It doesn't apply to me. Well, 
this passage is for all believers. What is particularly true of teachers is generally true of all. At some point, even if in some small capacity, you'll find yourself teaching and speaking into the lives of others. We need to prepare, equip ourselves and grow in maturity through studying his word, learning how to be slow to speak, and learning to control our tongues. The tongue produces words that teach. So let's make sure that we're using those words well. Because as we're about to see, words influence outcomes. James continues in verse 2. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. If you or I could speak with no faulty words whatsoever, then James is saying that would make us perfect. But more than that, that would keep our whole body in check. And by that he means that we'd be without sin. We could avoid sins of the mouth, then it would be possible to avoid sins in other ways. Of course, no one has been faultless in what they say, except Jesus. Uh, and James did just point out earlier in verse 2 that we all stumble. But he's making an interesting point about how powerful words can be. And he goes on to show some illustrations of this. The first in verse 3 of that of a horse being controlled by something as small as a bit. And the second in verse 4 of that of a boat being controlled by something as small of a rudder. And in both illustra in illustrations... The object that's doing the controlling is disproportionate in size to the object being controlled. Horses are powerful and, majest and majestic creatures, graceful, fast. Their muscles help them run fast, and their muscles have helped them work hard for thousands of years. When early farmers plowed their fields, with their first plows, they didn't hitch them to the cows or to the pigs or to the chickens. They went straight to the most powerful animal that they had on their farm, which was the horse. Horses have been known to be able to pull up to three times their weight. And given that they weigh in about a ton, there's quite a lot of power right there. Yet for all their power, they're able to be controlled, steered, and put to productive use with a bit in the mouth. Something small that only weighs several hundred grams. In the first century, large ships existed. They, these were over 50 metres long, and they stood five, seven metres out of the water. They could carry between 700 and 1,000 people and almost 250 tonne of cargo. They harnessed the powerful force of the wind in order to move. And today's ships are enormous as well. We've got cruise ships, cargo ships, oil tankers, but like their earlier cousins, a small rudder is responsible for changes in direction. There are two things that are evident from these two examples. Firstly, something small is able to influence the direction that the horse and the boat go. And secondly, someone is setting that direction. For the horse to obey in verse 3, someone's calling the shots. 
Likewise, in verse 4, a pilot is choosing a direction. And then James begins verse 5 with the word likewise, drawing us back to the topic of the tongue and its similarity to the previous two examples. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, just like the bit in the horse's mouth, just like the rudder of the ship. The tongue is disproportionately small to our body, but can exert influence, producing powerful outcomes. As with bits and rudders, someone's calling the shots. It's worthwhile pausing there to reflect on that. The tongue produces words that influence outcomes. And that, that highlights great potential with the tongue. It can be used for positive needs, positive means and for good outcomes. The two illustrations show a need of skill. The horse rider must learn to apply the right amount of pressure to steer the horse from danger. The pilot undergoes much training to be able to steer the ship, keep it clear of rocks and storms. They're calling the shots when they manipulate bits and rudders, but who's calling the shots on our tongue? Jesus goes to answer that. In Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Matthew 15, 18, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. Our hearts are calling the shots. The tongue shows the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It is from within that the mouth speaks. Just like the horse rider and the pilot who need to be skilled and trained, we need to mature and grow in our skill of harnessing the tongue. How might we use the tongue positively to influence good outcomes? Well, Proverbs has got so much to say about this, but I've pulled out a couple of verses. 12.25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. 16.24, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul. 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. 25.15, through patience a ruler can be persuaded, but a gentle tongue can break a bone. An encouraging word can lift the burdensome weight of life, that we carry at one point or another in life. A kind word is sweet to the soul. A soft, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a gentle answer is also powerful. It's so powerful, it's strong enough to break bone. As believers, we live by God's word. Now, to the world, God's word is insignificant. But to us, we know that it is powerful. We live by a word that makes a promise to us that by believing in the name of Jesus, we are saved. We must use our tongue to speak that very word about Jesus. Controlling the tongue won't come naturally to us just because we're Christian. As a sinful nature is still present within us, we must be conscious and aware of how powerful the words of our tongue can be and deliberate in how we use it trying to use it for positive outcomes. We mustn't underestimate the power of our words. The tongue produces words that influence outcomes. And there is a lot of potential, uh, positive potential there. 
But just like there is positive potential, there is also negative, which we can see also in verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but the verse continues, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue has a potential for negative outcomes, destructive outcomes. A fire brings devastation, the loss of property and home, valuable timber is destroyed, life and animals killed, displaced. All these things are still fresh in our minds given the recent bushfires we've experienced here in Australia. And like the two illustrations before, it's a tiny spark that started it, just like the tongue is tiny. And something small can bring such large-scale devastation. Why are our tongues so terrible? We're told in verse 6, because our heart is so easily influenced by evil. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself set on fire by hell. How many sins are directly related to that of the tongue? Well, I, where I had a look, I found at least 25 in Scripture, such as lying, gossip, slander, boasting, deceit, false witness, so on and so on. We express sins such as anger, bitterness, envy, and so on through our words. And the reason is the tongue is expressing the heart, the very place that sin resides. As believers, we're forgiven for our sins. And until our sinful nature is fully done away with, our words will continue to betray what's in our hearts. The tongue left unchecked and without control will become an instrument for wrong. If we have no thought in the words we say, then our tongue can corrupt the whole body. It can affect our own feelings the attitude to ourselves, but also to others. It can cause a lifetime of impact. It can also corrupt the body in the sense of the church, the body of believers, not only through false teaching, but also through sins of speech. As we see in Paul's letter to the church of Galatia, Galatians 5.15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And consider the curse of sin that we all live under, it came because of false words. In the Garden of Eden, Eve was told by the serpent to not believe the words that God spoke. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? She ignored God's words and with her tongue convinced Adam to follow. And it was by the tongue that the whole body was corrupted and it set in course this course of history that we know. Verse 6 also says the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. And these are strong words. But it's helpful to remember that there is an evil one, Satan, who desires our destruction. And we'd be foolish to forget, to ignore, or to deny the influence that he can have on our lives. Verses 7 and 8 say, All kinds of animals birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind 
but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. For all the achievements and accomplishments of mankind and the domestication of animals, the training of animals to perform in zoos and circuses, snake charmers and so forth, no one has managed to tame the tongue. I've been a Christian for most of my life and whilst each year progressively is better when it comes to matters of the tongue, like all of you, my tongue is untamed. And if the tongue is untamable, does logic flow that we should just completely abstain from talking? We should just live a life of, science, of silence? The Bible does not call for silence, but for the tongue to be empowered by God and by the Holy Spirit for the tongue to be used to glorify God. Silence would not bring complete control over our thoughts. We would still have those thoughts. Our heart would still be there. And if we consider Matthew 12, 22, where Jesus was presented with a blind and mute man, well, he healed him so that he could talk and he could see. If silence was the answer, why would Jesus have healed him? In the life of in a life of silence, the right response to an untamed tongue is, it's just not silence. We need to look at other means. The tongue produces words that teach and words that influence outcomes. Our words have the potential to bring much good, but we need to be conscious of the potential for destruction should we leave our tongue unchecked. So consider how you use your tongue. And finally, words reveal our nature. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. That's verse 9. When I was looking through this, I got to this, and, and I'm thinking, come on, James, you're really laying it on thick now. Not only have you said, look how destructive the tongue can be to ourselves, our lives, and our fellow men, but now you're stressing the inconsistency of how the tongue can in one breath praise God and in another breath curse the very people that were made in God's image, which is akin to cursing God himself. And I'm thinking at this point, what hope is there really? Am I, am I responsible? Since no one can tame the tongue, we all stumble. It's a great fire that brings much destruction. I understand that. It praises and, cur and curses God. But it's all stacked up against me, right? And if we stopped here at verse 9, I could understand that thinking. But James makes a huge statement in verse 10. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. It's such a shame, brothers and sisters, that it's happening to you. Is that what it says? Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. There's a reason that in our homes, the water line and the sewerage line aren't the same line. But that's the very problem that we have with our mouth. We come to church and we sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. But then we turn right around and we tear down a brother or sister in Christ. And this is something that 
we can be far too tolerant of. We can make excuses. That's just how I am. I'm just wired that way. The tongue can't be tamed. But James's response, this should not be. Continues in verse 11 and 12, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fair fresh water. We actually have some control over this. And throughout this letter of James, he's been saying we need to check ourselves out. If it was impossible for a spring to produce fresh water and salt water, then it's unnatural for you and I as believers to speak both praise of God and curse of another. Just as a fig tree can't bear olives, just as a grapevine can't bear figs, instead both will bear what is in their nature to bear. And Jesus said this in Matthew 12, verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Nature is ordered and follows basic laws. It's not inconsistent. A tree can only bear its own fruit. So too, a salt spring will only produce salt water. Fresh water cannot flow out of it. This impossibility from the natural world is now applied to the spiritual realm to show how improper it is as believers, but it's an inconsistency to praise and curse. We can see that the reason that the tongue is prone to evil, it's because it comes from the heart. If our hearts are not under control, if we say harmful and destructive things, then it means that our heart is defective, our heart is corrupt. Which means as a believer, Jesus is not in control of your heart. And if this is you, then it means that there's still some growing to do. And it also means that you're not ready to teach, taking into account the warning of verse 1. Our faith must be obvious from our actions. And our faith must be obvious from our words. Our words reveal our nature. And for what comes out of a person will tell you something about their heart. Now, if you feel that your tongue has led you astray, has gotten you into trouble, has caused damage and destruction, if you believe you couldn't possibly be worthy as a believer or follower of Jesus, then you'd be right. None of us are worthy enough to be a follower of Jesus. But despite that, despite how unworthy we are, Jesus still calls us. He saves us. He forgives us. He wants relationship with us. And he wants to grow and mature us. It's not about how we feel about this. It's about what he can do. The tongue produces words that teach, words that influence outcomes, and words that reveal our nature. Since the tongue is powerful and can be used for both positive and negative purposes, drawing from the abundance of what's in the heart, we have some choices to make. James is a practical book, and there are practical things all throughout this letter. And I'm just going to go through a couple of them for you of what we can actually do in practice. Listen first, listen more, talk later, talk less. These are covered off in chapter one. We can be quick to respond and to get our word in, 
We talk first, and usually listening is optional. James warns us not to be hasty in our words, but to seek understanding. God gave us two ears, one mouth, it's for a reason, expects us to listen more and talk less. And many times, we're not even listening when the other person is talking, we're just formulating our next argument. So listen more. Use words that are true and pure. Our words need to be truthful, not exaggerated or spun in our own way to get our outcomes. They need to echo the truth. Likewise, we need to keep our works, our words, free of filth and obscenity. Instead, expressing words that line up with being God's holy people. Use words that are quiet and gentle, that are carefully chosen. Loud and harsh works can escalate a situation. Gentle words are loving and considerate. We need to pick our words carefully that are right for the situation. And some things may be better left unsaid. There are times that the best words that you can say are the ones you never speak. Some things we should just keep to ourselves. Silence is a virtue. And with our words, with our tongue, we can ask God. As James says in chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to you. I'll close this in prayer, reading the Psalm one for one that was our reading, which can be a prayer that you use asking for God's help with your tongue. Let's pray. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those evildoers. Do not let me, Lord, eat their delicacies. Father, you spoke the word, the world into existence. Father, you used your word for this. You speak new life into your believers. You give us the light and the knowledge of your glory in Christ. Today we just pray, Lord, give us the grace to receive your word and to rejoice in it. Convict us of the sins that can come of the tongue. Convict us on how we need to address that if that is present in our life. Help us to grow. Help us to mature. Help us so that we can grow your community, so that we can lift your name up, so that we can glorify you. In your name, we pray these things, Lord. Amen.